Hey all, welcome to Film Suck, a podcast in which we ponder the work of art in the age of crap cinema and television. I'm Eileen Jones. I'm Dolores McElroy. And today we're talking about the fresh and funny HBO series, Somebody Somewhere. It's just wrapped up its second season. It's been renewed for a third. Um, so if you haven't been watching it, it's it's a really good time now to catch up with this offbeat show that fans have been um, really raving about and also wondering why it doesn't get more attention. Um, it's about a 40-something ex-bartender named Sam Miller. I think that's her last name. Um, played by actor, singer, comedian Bridget Everett. And she's moved back to her small hometown, like teeny tiny rural hamlet, a hometown of Manhattan, <laughs> Kansas. Um, uh, she's the, the reason is she's she's she went to take care of her dying sister when we start the show. The sister has died. Um, and she's struggling to find a way to fit in again with her fractious family and her oddball community. She gets a lot of help from her new friend, Joel, played by the delightful Jeff Hiller. Um, he was actually a fellow show choir member back in high school, only she has no memory of him whatsoever, whereas he really admired her. Um, he's wired into the local church scene, as well as the surprisingly vibrant LGBTQ scene in the uh, Midwestern flatlands. Um, so let's just get our takes over with. Oh, by the way, it's in honor of Pride Month. We, uh, we, we have to acknowledge this is our Pride Month entry. Happy Pride. And we're Happy calling Pride. this episode here. Yeah. Uh, somebody somewhere over the rainbow hanging in the heartland. So <laughs> takes, which is, I think, an excellent title. Ah, takes. Dolores, you go first. <laughs> okay, well, I adore this series. I, I happened upon it totally by mistake. I recognize Bridget Everett. I didn't know her by name, but um, I know her from Trainwreck, the Amy Schumer mm. film. Mm. And um, <laughs> long story made short, my mom is obsessed with the guy who played, his name is Nick Sandow. It's the guy who played the prison warden in Orange is the New Black. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Caputo. <laughs> <laughs> and he was, it had a minor role in this movie called Trainwreck uh-huh. um, that she was also in and Bridget Everett played the mom of this uh not train wreck sorry uh patty cake patty cake Uh, cake. Uh, yeah um and Bridget Everett played like this um like deaf leopard singing mom of the main character (laughs) who was an adolescent girl in train in patty cake Uh and she's so freaking memorable so all I needed to do was see her face and Mm -hmm. I was like I'll watch this whatever Mm -hmm. and it's even better than I hoped it would be um I'm from Illinois and this is set in Kansas. And the first couple episodes take place at um, Sam, the main character's place of work, which is a standardized testing, um, like, assessment center. Mm-hmm. And it's got, to me, it is like the essence of the Midwest. Like, it, like the Midwest, when it is not a major city, is like an office park. Like everything, <laughs> I don't know how the architecture could be more boring. It is like mind-numbingly <laughs> Uh, I don't know, conventional. And, mm-hmm. um, but there's something about the mind numbingness of the like office park architecture and obviously the stupid, meaningless corporate job of like mm-hmm. assessing standardized tests. And I still, when I go home, I've lived in the West now for like half of my life. But when I go home, there's like this magical. Ah, I don't know, like fullness to the atmosphere and it's the humidity. It's Mm -hmm. the beautiful, like leafy green trees. Mm -hmm. And that contrasted with the stupid, like corporate style (laughs) of living (laughs) Um, and like very small town, mind numbing convention. Mm -hmm. There's something about that contrast that like speaks to me, you know, like Mm -hmm. I know it well. And there's always, I mean, the, you know, the, the wilderness is the wilderness and it's always going to give you like a little whiff of something on the wind that Mm -hmm. could be more. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And there's 
this like yearning that comes with being in a place like that Mm -hmm. and being a person who doesn't quite fit in that place. And, um, our main character has that mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's really interesting. I like this character cause she doesn't have any like goals necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, she goes through some emotional growth. Um, it, it's really a story about friendship and her falling in love with her good friend, this gay guy, Joel, Mm-hmm. who she meets at her work and um she grows through the sort of like trials and tribulations of their friendship but he mm-hmm. he adores her they went to high school together uh you know she doesn't remember him <laughs> and um um i there is like a i don't know it's all i can say is it resonates like is something deeply true to me the way that people find each other in these places even the in the most like fluorescent lit office park of environments mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, even in the, in this like rural setting that doesn't have, you know, if you're working at a corporate place in a big city, there's like other stuff going on, but Mm -hmm. to work at the corporate place in the small town is really interesting. And like, it's, it's, you got to work hard to find like your moments of beauty, but there are many moments of beauty here. Mm -hmm. And I love when they, they go take a lot of walks, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, I don't know something about the, like there's like a gentleness in the air, but also like an exhaustion. Like the parade has definitely gone by for small towns like this, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's like more, it's more energetic citizens have left. Mm -hmm. And here Sam is, she's returned because she, uh, she ended up back there because she had to take care of an ailing sister. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know. So I'll say like, I love, it has a ton of emotional truth. I adore Bridget Everett. I'm it's so refreshing to see like an original screen presence. Like mm-hmm. she doesn't look like anyone else. She's like six feet tall, big woman. Um, like, you know, features that are like not conventionally attractive. And it's like, thank God, like finally I can like look at something different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like just look at like d- human beings on the screen who aren't, you know. Uh, just like desperately conventional Mm -hmm. and it's just I don't know it's a and there it is like fairly slow it's funny and it's sweet but it's fairly slow and you know me like I love a slow (laughs) I love a slow thing (laughs) if if there are like leaves and shit on screen which there are (laughs) um there's something about it that's like uh it kind of restores you know, my attention. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I just, I dig it. I really like this show. Mm -hmm. Um, What's your overall take, Eileen? Yeah, I agree on on almost every point. And it it is, it's it's weird to say this, but there's, it's such a fresh shock to see people, as you say, who don't look like what we're used to seeing on TV. I just, having a set in the Midwest seems insanely daring. So I'm watching it going, wow, I just... And you can tell they really well. They're I read anyway. I don't know if this is true. They they're shooting in the in Chicago suburbs of Lockport and Warrenville. Actually, oh man, yeah, they're (laughs) tiny, like yeah, farmland all around kind of communities. Um, and and I never spent much of any time in the Midwest. It was really the most time I spent is when we went and we did a a writers group house sit at at an aunt, a lovely aunt's of 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 Dolores's. Let us Hi, Aunt it. Joan. Hi. <laughs> Hi. We never met in person, but we love your house. Um, and it was in Wisconsin. And and the there is something sneaky in the power of the Midwest Midwestern landscape that I don't know. Maybe people who know about this know, and it's this is old hat. To me, it was very striking. Mm-hmm. And you're exactly right. It has an, a very full atmosphere. 
Mm-hmm. You're, you become very attentive to uh, just the, the lushness of trees and the sky. The sky seems big, very, very big mm-hmm. <laughs> and dramatic. And there's a lot of changing clouds and you become very conscious of the of the air and the weather. Um, so anyway, that it just seems very exciting to to see a place you don't usually see, to see people you don't usually see. And you're just blessing it all the way through. And there's also the sense of even though, yes, it's slow and not a lot happens in the way we tend to think that narratives go because more and more, we, you know, the demand is that they be packed with overly dramatic, big, epic incident. Um, there's such a charged quality to the homecoming of a middle-aged person who does, is a bit directionless and has to go back and deal with all the stuff especially to do with family, you know, if, if, if like me, you fled family <laughs> and hometown <laughs> early in life, and then you have, and then you wind up coming back. The, the drama is inherently there <laughs> in every mm-hmm. scene in all the re-encounters, because now you are, are different. You are coming back from, you know, usually a much more urban environment and you have to re-encounter things that have changed in their own right or not changed it at all. And either one is kind of a freak, a freak out. So yes. I love that they are trusting that the, the, that drama is plenty enough. They're quite right. It is. It's plenty. Yeah. <laughs> you know, every encounter with her sister, Trisha, is just gold, I, I find. Oh, man. Um, her sister, Trisha, is played, what is her name? Mary Catherine Garrison. Yes, um, and they were roommates. Bridget Everett and Mary oh, no Catherine way. Garrison were, yes. <laughs> For years. Yeah. Uh, oh, my God. She's wonderful. And she's playing the much more, seemingly much more conventional sister who, who is like the, the co-owner of a store. What's the name of the store? I can't even remember. Called Tender Moments. Tender Moments. Yeah. <laughs> like Bridget Everett's band. That's yeah. the name of her band. Yeah. Um, that is full of all the stuff that you know that in the cliched, you know, tchotchke shop. Like um, Live, Laugh, Love All vibes. the pillows and yeah. yes, crap with Live, Laugh, Love on them and all that crap that you look at and you kind of scorn and you think, well, at least I do because I'm. I can't help it. I'm somewhat of a snob. Um, and believe me, there's plenty of those right around me right now. I can go buy a live, laugh, love sign anytime I want <laughs> or a pillow or whatever. Yeah. Um, so she seems like she's very much locked into that. And there's all this sisterly resentment um, that's just percolating through the whole first season. It's all every encounter is supercharged because there's all this. It is like right under the seething <laughs> quality. Yeah. And it's all going to come exploding outward um, as we move into season two. Um, and things yeah, and things start happening with Trisha, but that's all, all things like that. Things with the parents that are very rocky. Um, you know, mother has an alcohol problem. The father is, you know, a darling man, but you know, he's a farmer. He's he's getting older. The farm is getting is getting away from him. It's getting so he can't run it by himself. He's starting to see the tail end of his life. You know, arising. Um, he's played by a great great actor named uh, Mike Haggerty who unfortunately mm-hmm. passed away um, right before the second season was going to start production. So they had to rejigger the plot mm-hmm. um, dramatically um, to account for his absence. They didn't, they didn't kill off his character, but he, the character is away now. Um, and so all sorts of dramatic things happen while in between season one and season two, that takes some adjusting to when you get into season two again. Yeah. Um, but they, the, the actors are so, Great. And again, not what you're used to seeing. The casting is just marvelous. And it's just that alone is so wonderful. And they, there's, mm-hmm. you know, they talk about how they're relying on a very deep pool of Chicago talent. If you know anything about Chicago, it has this incredible theater scene, just a performance scene that's always been very, very strong. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're using all these kind of people that aren't 
your typical Hollywood, you know, actor. Yeah. Um, so yeah, all of that is great. So I, you know, I really, I'm also finding it absolutely delightful. And I started just as, as Dolores recommends had already watched it and was telling me, I had already started to hear or, or read about online people saying, Oh, there's this great show. I don't know why I'm not hearing more about it. And then my sister yeah. recommended it to me. And all of a sudden it was getting that critical mass of, okay, a lot of people are now saying, um, really ought to watch this show. So it's very bingeable, super bingeable. I binged it in, in no time. Nice. Um, so highly recommend it just because you just don't even know your own exhaustion with the material you see all the time until you yeah. watch something like this and the tone and the mood and everything and the pace and all of its qualities are so different from what you're used to. It's like, my God. Totally. And to see this get the HBO treatment, which really yeah. is quality, you yeah. know, yeah, is yeah. is so wonderful. Like it says these lives are worth thinking about, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and um, it's I'm, I like to me, it doesn't read it. Um, you could take it. So, hmm. All right. Here's this younger generation, Bridget, mm-hmm. Sam's generation. And Trisha's more conservative, but her, her sister, Trisha. Mm-hmm. And Sam Sam's friends are this group of sort of like ragtag people through Joel, who she meets. Mm-hmm. And it, it's all the queer folks in town. Mm-hmm. And there's um, a way that like, you know, this could become really like belabored, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, like this isn't it's just a very gentle way of like reimagining what the Midwest can be and already is, you know, mm-hmm. and it's I, season one is about Sam discovering church <laughs> mm-hmm. and what church is where Joel takes her um, is not a, not a religious service, mm-hmm. but it's um, a meeting of uh, these queer people emceed by a great character named Fred Rococo, mm-hmm. a, a trans man played by Murray Hill. Um, and church is like, it happens once a week. I'm afraid if it's a Friday night or what, but mm-hmm. uh, you go to this, you go to this, you know, uh, I think it's a mall. Am I hallucinating yeah, I that? I think that's right. And yeah, then you to, go to like yeah. mm-hmm. this like crumbling strip mall, so true to the Midwest. Oh and, no, aren't they, uh, wait, aren't they, they're not using the church? Is that no, right? they might be. I'm they losing be. my mind. <laughs> well, I can't remember if, you know, there, there winds up being a little crisis for, for Joel, who's also, who also is conventionally religious. Yeah. Um, um, because he's, he, he hasn't told the pastor, I guess. I'm forgetting yeah. what denomination um, that about that, that he's doing this, but I thought it was because he was using the church space secretly, but maybe I'm. You're right. I lost my right? mind. No, okay, that, is that is correct. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but like, um, you know, these people come together and, you know, most of them are gay and, mm-hmm. uh, or queer somehow. And, um, Sam finds her own voice <laughs> mm-hmm. through this like cabaret night they have. And she gets up on stage and sings a couple numbers and the glory of her show choir days is revived. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's you know it, it is it sounds like it could be a uh, cliche I, I didn't find it that way it was pretty darn heartwarming and like joyful mm-hmm. and um i i don't know it was like a really warm feeling like it's it is all of these i mean in the best wizard of oz fashion yeah. <laughs> it's all of these like outsiders who are very different uh who like band together and uh make and that's make a the pretty dream. good yeah <laughs> exactly. for me it's like okay yes they do it in a way that you really believe in the reality of this and as you know you can argue yes it is the reality of this but it also has that wonder wonderfully utopian feeling and i say that even mm-hmm. though there's a certain amount of condemnation of that, and that was so typical of older entertainment in the United States, but it's really gone out of a lot of entertainment. Or it's like we can't do it anymore. We can't imagine it. Here, they've re- reimagined it. 
This was yeah. my whole dream. I want to go find all the all the loose nuts, all the people who are oddballs, <laughs> who are misfits, but who are marvelous. And and it's not that easy to find when he get when she gets ushered. You know, she's living a kind of like eh, life of not really belonging and, and yet being there. And Joel is segues her into this this thank God world <laughs> where yeah. there they finally here are my people. Oh, thank God. Um, and it isn't even just about sexuality. It's about being expressive individuals who are interesting, all of them and funny and great to be around. And, Absolutely. Um, yeah. So the, the utopian thing is what really struck me is like, oh God, my dream. And it's so hard to find. So hard. Yep. Yeah, and it exists. It's really like interesting the spaces where it exists. Like mm. um Fred, who is uh Fred has a the character of Fred, the trans man who acts mm. as the MC for the for ch church, as they mm. call it, <laughs> those nights, those cabaret nights where everyone mm. sings and hangs out. Fred is a tenured professor, uh, a soil scientist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, so he winds up bonding with Sam's father just on the farmer yeah. to farmer level. It's really nice. Totally. It's it's real sweet, but it's like Fred creates these literal spaces for this utopia to thrive. So mm -hmm. there's church, mm -hmm. then there's Fred. Fred has a bunker, mm -hmm. like a good Midwestern doomsday prepper, mm -hmm. but it's just a party bunker. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there's like a, mm -hmm. you know, a big screen TV and like a disco ball down there and mm -hmm. they play poker and they drink. Fred also has a party bus right. um, <laughs> for like utopia on the move. Right. <laughs> and then finally, it's kind of interesting, like tracking the spaces where their little community thrives at the end of season two there's a wedding for fred and here for the first time like utopia starts to come out of the bunker mm. come out of the party bus and uh sam with the help of live laugh love trish mm -hmm. um actually like throw a wedding for fred um who's marrying his girlfriend mm -hmm. in the barn in, in their father's barn and so it's like, oh, it's finally like coming out. You know, a barn is still a like semi-private space, but it's like, oh, the utopia is creeping out into the open a little bit, bit by bit, you know? Mm. So it's a, I don't know, it's a wonderful... It, it has an arc. In other yeah. words, it, it can feel a little structureless if you're expecting the usual structure. Yeah. Um, it can feel like meandering and slow and like, where is this going anywhere? And, and partly, of course, that makes sense because you're watching, you know, when her heart, car breaks down, she's just basically around. <laughs> the totally. middle, you know, it's, it has that slower. They're taking long walks or whatever. It's a slower pace of life. Um, um, where was I going with this? Uh, 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 oh, but the arc. but the arc, there's these there are these arcs built in the relationship of of Sam and Joel has, you know, a whole major arc that gets surprisingly dramatic in season two. Mm -hmm. um, and this whole move toward ex exactly as you say, suddenly we're able to find a ways to collapse the spaces together and unite these things that seem potentially opposed can now all come together. So once you become aware of that, then it's even more exhilarating because then you could feel the, this other kind of structure that's working really well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's 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 really brave in several ways. Like, okay, first you've got a main character who's a woman in her 50s with no direction. She doesn't have any dramatic there honestly, there's no dramatic arc to her character except she's growing a little bit emotionally, mm. you know? Um and also the main focus, the main dramatic tension as you say is this friendship pl mm. a platonic friendship between this woman and Joel who's a gay mm. man mm -hmm. and um it's Eileen I know you you grabbed a quote about this I think it's from Bridget Everett but I'm not sure it says uh, you don't really get to see a lot of people in their 40s that are friends fall in love with each other and get yeah. lost in each mm -hmm. other that's a younger thing to do 
Um, so it, it, it's so true. It's like, but I, I also think it's possible. Like, obviously they come together, you know, out of shared, like loneliness, they meet mm. at the same, they have the same employer in season one. Mm. And, um, and a shared sensibility, you mm-hmm. know, like they're both like goofballs. They both like, uh, music and, you know, they're both expressive and uh, like to drink. They call them teeny teenies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they make, they make martinis every night, um, in like new and special ways. And they both and, have a raucous sense of humor, which is, which is nice because Joel in, in some ways when, when we first meet him is, is much more conservative than Sam, you think, cause he's a, he's kind of avidly engaged in church life yes you know he has this wonderful scene where he does the ceremony of blessing the animals it's so touching yes um that i was actually disturbed because he winds up he he winds up well i should give everything away but anyway he winds up being found out and or confessing rather that he's been doing this this other version of church without permission and he winds up leaving his church and at a certain point you know sam goes with him to another church to see if he wants and he's just like you know i might not be a church person anymore and i felt i was so upset (laughs) <laughs> in oh. this weird show way like no i don't want everyone to collapse together and be the same thing totally. <laughs> you know i want him to but you know we but it it but comes we'll out see. they're smart we'll see. they yeah. find a way to to bring it they start bringing it back very it's very interesting and cool um, exactly yeah and, but he's but- he's so adorable and he's like a i don't know he has a baby duck quality um along <laughs> with his co- essential kindliness and support supportiveness it's just built into him so he seems very different from sam in some ways so that's really nicely done totally and like thanks for bringing that up i love this type of character this type of person exists in the world like there but this type of character i have Mm -hmm. never seen on screen no so a a Mm -hmm. gay man who is uh you know a midwestern gay man who's basically a a good boy a good rule abiding boy Mm -hmm. you know to whom church is important Mm -hmm. but also like can party and have friends and be mm-hmm. irreverent. Mm-hmm. And in season two, Joel finds romance and he's attracted to another person just like him. Another another gay man um, who's uh, big into church mm-hmm. and <laughs> who we first meet on screen uh, at, at what is mostly a teenager, a teenage voice recital. But this grown man has taken voice <laughs> lessons, right. the same voice <laughs> lessons um, as the teenagers. Yeah. And he, in an act of extreme bravery, has gotten <laughs> up there and sung his like little Italian bel canto song. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's horrible, you know, but he, <laughs> damn it, he did it, you know. Mm-hmm. And you know people like this, like earnest gay church boys who are also fun mm-hmm. and have like full emotional lives. And mm-hmm. are they too conservative to fall? in love and like want to get together no yeah are they too conservative to have a teeny teeny also no it's just like a nice full portrait of humanity that you never see like often when you see gay men on screen they are you know club going glamorous like sort of slick partiers yeah yeah yeah, yeah. which is you know also a real person in the world type Mm -hmm. but (laughs) but not exclusively and so like right on to get the like midwestern church going gay boy representation somebody somewhere not (laughs) and and yet to have these wonderful moments that are so like reminding you this we're never gonna rest on cliche so there's a yes. scene where he and and Sam are talking about like what their days are like or whatever, what they like to do. This is early in their friendship, you know, and she describes hers, you know, <laughs> she, her favorite thing is kicking back by herself in her underwear and drinking wine. <laughs> he hears about her day and he looks troubled and says, well, it just sounds so lonely. And then he oh. describes his day and it's, it's just his typical days are so packed with, <laughs> with church life. This is early on. 
that, mm-hmm. you know, when he, and he says, I like to keep busy, you know, to keep out the terror. And then he just keeps <laughs> going. And I'm like, beautiful. That's beautiful. So he can acknowledge that it's not just that he's naturally kind of kindly benevolent, wants to do things for others, is drawn to church, is in a very churchy environment. There's also this other darker aspect. Yeah. <laughs> that was really well done, I thought. Really well done. Yeah, it's a, he's such an amazing character. Like, love him so hard. And um, just to see, again, to see, like, an adult, fr- a, a, a middle-aged friendship, mm-hmm. like, take root and become, like, really close, not ridden with cliche. Mm-hmm. But I also, like, I've never seen this portrayed on screen, and I think it's a real thing. So they become, the emotional conflict in the show, especially in season two, is that Sam and Joel are really close, mm-hmm. and they even move in together. And they, in many ways, they have a, you know, like a, a kind of a partnership, like a, a domestic partnership. Um, but Joel falls in love with this other guy. Mm-hmm. And Sam is upset with him. Um, and it's, she can't really explain why. Eventually, she kind of does, you know, but she feels betrayed. Like her closest person, uh, who is someone she wasn't romantic with, mm-hmm. like, you know, his, his affections stray and she doesn't really know how to deal with that. And I thought that was beautifully done because I think people go through that a lot. We don't have language for it. It's certainly not depicted in media, like mm-hmm. often. Maybe in kids' shows, it is like there are best friends and then someone gets a boyfriend, you know? Yes. Sometimes with with stories of young women friends, at least it'll be jokingly referred to how, you know, one by one you lose your women friends as they get serious boyfriends or get married and then you lose them, especially if they have kids, you really lose them. But I'm trying, you know, I I don't know how often it's treated that seriously. I'm trying to think. For adults, I can't I can't really think think of an instance. It's usually a a throwaway joke and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And this is kind of another like radically queer part about this show. There's a friendship at the heart of it, even though the characters have like, you know, romantic lives or sexual lives. Mm -hmm. Um, And the friendship is the big, uh, well, at least for Sam, is the main relationship in her life Mm -hmm. um and i think that's it's really interesting and Mm. it's just like not that's not treated seriously if that is treated in film or tv it's usually ultimately dismissed as Mm -hmm. like you know not a not a big concern like you'll get over it right (laughs) go find yourself a man you know exactly (laughs) that that should never be your biggest main emotional <laughs> right Say yeah. that, says the culture you know yeah, so the culture exactly exactly yeah, yeah. so yeah. i th- i think that's kind of another like amazingly emotionally honest unique thing about this show as well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you know and, it, a lot, yeah, oh go ahead well no go you finish that thought and then i will i will touch on another thing about sam's emotional life oh no continue <laughs> i was just gonna segue into just just connecting her bridget everett to the material but you carry on and, and finish that okay well the final thing that's interesting and i mean i find myself like wanting to know this is mm-hmm. it comes up in season two as well um sam has never been in love yeah that's and right. mm-hmm. you get the sense that like she feels not great about that but mm-hmm. also doesn't want to do anything to change it like her response to joel who asked if she's ever been in love is why would i do that to myself mm-hmm. But you also find her being like reflective at like Fred's wedding, you know, mm-hmm. um, or even time. tortured. Remember the 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 Doreen, the music is her name, Doreen, the music teacher. Yes. Who says something like something it like should feel it'll like, like it'll feel like the first time you fell in love. And she mm-hmm. she's manifestly disturbed by this. Yep. 
Yeah. And that to me, that's like, yeah, it's really touching. And I mean, maybe it's I'm aware of my own like desire for a conventional something. She Mm -hmm. Sam's got a flirtation with her stoner neighbor next door who's under house arrest for selling weed. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. And I I want her to fall in love with him. (laughs) That's the pinpoint he seems so cute. Casting. you like him so much the second you see him it's really beautifully that's a beautiful example of casting right there and mostly yes we, we filmmakers are worse and worse at this so all filmmakers need to go watch this american cinema used to be great for this like brilliant for this. like they know I, I i'm always raging about this it's one of the things that come up in my reviews over and over <laughs> once upon a time even people like you might despise even though they were great filmmakers whatever their ideology you know capra was a master at this. he would never waste a scene where there's a very small character and you need to remember them. film mm. noir is genius at this you're, you're gonna see one guy in one elevator for one scene and you're not gonna forget that guy for the rest of the yeah. movie now we suck at this so fucking hard but here's an example where it works perfectly from the minute you see him, you're like, I like that guy so much. I hope they have an affair. <laughs> yeah. uh, I want to see him more. And yes. it's just really well, well done. Oh my God, it's so true. And like, mm. he's he's set up for sure. We're set up for him mm. to return and he better. Um, but you know, it's like this interesting thing of like, okay, you totally want Sam to get some and like feel love. Mm. But also the, it seems like the center of the show is still joel you know and her it's just cool it's just like a really like unique configuration of like uh engines of desire you know and like which ones are centered it's it's rad i just have so much respect for this thing oh i do too and and just yeah just and just the feeling of you know even if say this wasn't for you maybe Mm -hmm. i don't know i would think you'd have to respect this is a complete vision you can just feel it as soon as you start watching you're like Whatever they're doing here, they know yep. what they're doing. They know what yep. they want to do. This is this is this is all this is a united, you know, vision that we've got got coherent vision. So so respect for that always for someone who can pull something that off. Because you know, it's interesting to read about you know, I, I haven't found a, a, an interview that talks about how they went from the initial ideas for the series, which are very much based on Bridget Everett's um own life. Um mm-hmm. so just quickly. We've already referred to a few things, but, you know, she comes from Manhattan, Kansas, which is she called mm-hmm. the Little Apple. Um, <laughs> a teeny, teeny town. She was in show choir. She did swim competitively. And we see Sam at a certain point, you know, swimming like, you know, real swimmers do with, the, with that turn they do underwater and all that jazz. So she's, mm-hmm. you know, mining that aspect of herself. However, of course, she's obviously a big showbiz personality who seems to have all the confidence in the world, which isn't true of Sam, who gave up her her kind of performing until she comes back um, to, to Manhattan, Kansas. Um, mm-hmm. She calls herself an alt cabaret provocateur for her kind of cabaret, this kind of outrageous uh, delivery, outrageous comedic cabaret performing that includes her singing. Um, she's got a long um, a professional association with Amy Schumer. Not only was she, um, um, you know, on tra- in the movie train wreck, um, she's done, she's done stand up on inside Amy Schumer, that show. She opened regularly for Amy Schumer um, on comedy tours since 2012. Her 2015 show for Comedy Central, which I have not seen, but now I want to, is called Bridget Everett, Gynecological Wonder. <laughs> um, and as we already mentioned, she has a band called Tender Moments, <laughs> which is really, really great. Um, and her, they, she released an album. Um, oh, members of her band include Adam Horowitz of the Beastie Boys and yes. Carmine Cavelli from the Julia Ru- the Julie Ruin. Um, and the album is called Pounded, which, you know, there's all these re- references to her career throughout the movie. <laughs> Pounded is a game. 
um, yeah. that they play. Um, but the initial ideas they were kicking around um, with show creators who are, whose names are Hannah Bose and Paul Thoreen. Um, note that these two are also coming from an interesting place. They are also transplanted mid- Midwesterners, but they've been a Brook- part of a Brooklyn-based um, theater company called the Debate Society. And they do what's called, I never heard this before, devised theater hmm. or collective creation. It's a collaborative um, co- theater collective. Um, um, and, and they're both, um, and with them, there's also, um, the, the efforts and the company of the Duplass brothers, Jay and Mark, uh, Mumblecore guys who did the puffy chair, Jeff who lives at home. They're also involved in the show, but the initial idea of Bose, Bose and Thoreen, according to Bridget Everett, um, and this is from, a uh, an interview, if you want to look at a, a longer interview from the Collider, um, here's a quote. Um, how they initially pitched the the world that they were gonna they were gonna wind up representing. They pitched the world of Fred Rococo, played by Marie Hill. Everybody hmm. else had to audition because there really is only one person that could be Fred Rococo. It, it's also a reflection a reflection of my world because Marie Marie is is my friend, um, and I would be friends with Fred. Um, we would find each other. Those are the people I'm drawn to, which but we call each other misfits, and we've been referred to as misfits or outliers. And you find your people wherever you go. And to me, it makes perfect sense that you know Fred exists, and that he and Sam and Joel are all friends. And then she she adds, you know, now things have really hit the fan politically, and the show is more timely than ever with legislation and all this drummed up hate against drag queens and the queer community and the trans community. It's important that people see the world as people. Um, so that initially having Murray King be at the, at the very center of the vision is interesting. And I haven't found, uh, you know, the kind of connective tissue that leads you to, it starts shifting over to Sam and Joel as yeah. the main focus. So that I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess Fred can just represent this, this over the rainbow world of you found your community at last and they're great yeah. kind of thing, which is what he seems to do. For sure. For sure. And I love this. I mean, look, this is my favorite configuration of Diva, who I, mm-hmm. which is Bridget Everett, <laughs> who I guess is, you know, I guess is straight, whatever that means. <laughs> like she, she's tends to sleep with men, but, uh-huh. and, and all the gays and like it, it, Bridget Everett in talking about her own life, um, she could, she moved to New York because she's like, well, that's where Debbie Harry was and Bette Midler. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I don't have a vi-. She's like, I never had a vision for my career but she she was like if there's anyone who like whose career resonated with me it was like bet midlers like mm-hmm. someone who was born looking like no one who was ever on screen mm-hmm. <laughs> who like went to new york in the bathhouses and created an entire you know persona or mm-hmm. like place for herself to be mm-hmm. and that's i indeed that is like definitely the Bridget Everett pattern and you know the basic people are always like what do why do gay men like divas you know mm-hmm. and it's it's just like Barbara Streisand gives the best answer like they're different and I guess I am too mm-hmm. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but it's it's a gay you know it's a bunch of people who have no 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 place normatively mm-hmm. and just had to like create a world where they fit mm-hmm. um and I I you know I love that it's a very like warm <laughs> like mm-hmm. pattern to me of, mm-hmm. of a i don't know um uh, just you know 
the affinities among people you don't think should go together. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she made this out of nothing. I mean, mm-hmm. and she's so funny, like to hear Bridget Everett talk about her career. She's like, I never had a plan. I never had a goal. Mm-hmm. I was never like, I will be on Letterman by 2007. <laughs> you know, she's like, I just went to New York and I thought I'd be a server or something. And then people just kept telling me I should do stuff. That's why wasn't she working it. in a restaurant for decades while she did her stuff i read that oh i i didn't know that i believe i believe that i think that's what she said but carry on yeah Mm -hmm. well yeah but she just made you know she's like an outrageous persona very unique Mm -hmm. and people just kept asking her to do stuff and they were these like talented people i mean it's the you know it's definitely like the american dream in some ways like people just figure out you're special and decide to keep like giving you a hand and i was listening her to her talk on NPR and she was saying I don't even know I was always so mystified like why people would give me a leg up Mm -hmm. and she's like I never had any power until maybe just now and I'm beginning to understand like you know uh, wanting to help other people along their way. Mm-hmm. But she she just seemed like baffled by the whole process of becoming famous. <laughs> She's like, why are these people helping me? But also, thank you. And uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, it sounds like she was just like really fun at parties. Uh-huh. And people were like, you should make something of this and charge money to be really fun. <laughs> so, <laughs> right, right. I don't know. Which is a very pure performance move you know oh you go from being locally great literally so locally it's in a living room (laughs) right and the word spreads and opportunities start opening up in front of you that just seems like that should be more of a possibility than it is because you know we're in a very constipated time entertainment wise to me anyway right um we don't have nearly the the flux and movement that you once had in american showbiz there were so many venues there were so many ways, you know, there's a there's a period where you could be, you know, in nightclubs and on TV and in films and on stage and, that, you know, and yeah. you could just be moving and shaking back and forth and know all sorts of different groups of people from different areas. Um, and it just seems like it's really it's sort of become more rigid, certainly narrowed. Um, oh, yeah. If someone's a rock star, you're not going to see them on some, you know, like you used to be able to just watch, I don't know, John and Yoko on the Merv Griffith show or something. Yeah. There was just a lot more crazy movement that, at, at, at earlier periods that were possible, where more, it seems like more different types of talent could emerge and be appreciated by not the usual um, types. So, you know, rock stars, Got it. comedians and opera singers could meet you know pop stars and movie stars it just seemed like there was more movement yeah not in the kind we now have where i don't know they're all in they all have houses in idaho or some crazy you know (laughs) rich person you know uh offshoot the elite just being part of a generic elite yeah yeah exactly that's not interesting this was much more there's a crazy flux and you could get in it you could it used to be made more sense that more people thought it was possible i mean like you read about like vincent minnelli he's coming from a circus family (laughs) (laughs) playing the midwest and then he becomes the greatest you know um production designer art designer that ever was and then he becomes and then he goes to movies and then he you know gets to be a director and then that's kind of wild movement that was possible um, seems less possible now. So, so whenever you read about someone who's managed it, it seems even more incredible to me. No wonder she's shocked. 
Absolutely. And her, it's, it's funny you brought up opera. I mean, mm. her voice is, her style of singing is so, it's pretty unique. Mm. Um, I, I read that she, she got a scholarship for, I think, swimming and opera singing to ASU. Oh, wow. <laughs> Hilarious, because her voice is not operatic, but she, it's a big old voice, so mm. you could understand how it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, she And she's got this, like, uh, it's, like, definitely a rock and roll mama, kind of, like, mid-80s power mm. ballad voice. Mm-hmm. And um, she's this, she, she kind of reminds me of, like, Sophie Tucker or something like yes. last of the red hot mama. <laughs> exactly. There are older versions of the older iterations of this kind of persona. Absolutely. But it then yeah, it like, went away and, and she's bringing some of it back. Yeah. Totally. Like big body woman. Like I, I saw her open for one of the Amy Schumer comedy specials and she did this song called pussy, pussy, pussy. <laughs> won't you sit on my face? <laughs> but she's wild with her. Like, I mean, like, you know, just her like big body and she'll like put her knees far apart <laughs> and squat. Like she's outrageously <laughs> lewd in the most delightful way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like really refreshing. Like there's a lot of like sexual comedy, but there's something about her and like her like earth mother shtick and like seemingly totally um, uninhibited in mm-hmm. that particular way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's pretty delightful. And it's like definitely not every. OK, my main complaint with mm. so much of media right now is it's suburban. She's mm. not suburban. Mm-hmm. Whatever she's bringing is like wild and working class mm-hmm. and like not suburban. Um, she yeah, I know, and I didn't. Want, I didn't even bring up the working class thing because I know I lean on it really hard. But I have to say, no, girl. part of the the delight is this is a real representation of a working class world. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. From farmers who are barely hanging on to working at that horrifying testing center, you know those kinds of jobs where you're just like, ah. <laughs> but that, and that, that's again part of the utopian thing where you're not defined. You don't have to be defined by the usually miserable working conditions because you have a rich full life outside it. That's also something that's harder and harder to come by. Um, yes. So it's almost making you go, God. Maybe the the smart ticket is to go. <laughs> to some rural enclave because there's nothing else to do and you'd and you'd be forced into like a creative way of, <laughs> of of living your life that would redeem your whole life even if you had to do one of these horrible paycheck to paycheck and boring job yeah i i think there's a lot to that in a way like you know if you if you have nothing to do i i mm-hmm. i know when i lived there i did a lot of creative stuff <laughs> Out of yeah. sheer boredom, I mean, know? it made sense that um, we did a, write, a writer's retreat. That was the most successful. That was way long ago. Writer's retreat, yeah. I think we ever had because it was just like, well, you know, we'll go to this one place, whatever. But yeah. we really were just in this house on this beautiful lot in this beautiful, you know. Yeah, um, nothing else to do. Countries that there was nothing else to do, and yeah, you get suddenly you're like, hey, <laughs> hey, kids, yeah. let's put on a show <laughs> in the barn. It's kind of like that. Yeah. Want to make costumes? <laughs> yeah. No, it, <laughs> you know, and, and it is it it does work in w- Wizard of Oz, ref- Oz references, you know, but in not in no heavy handed way in a really fun way. There's a hurricane in one of the season one mm-hmm. episodes. It's really delightfully handled, and a little dog, and, and yeah. Joel there's there's Joel with this little dog, and he doesn't. But they do a wonderful thing in that he can't bond with the little dog. It's an impulse. <laughs> 
um, thing that he gets, and then he has no feeling for the little dog, but then they're trapped together trying to ride on a hurricane. And he <laughs> names the dog, and frankly, I was thinking they were he was going to be his best friend forever, and then no. <laughs> I know. He doesn't wind up keeping the dog. He winds up giving the dog to a little family in a cute way. and it's But it's just handled in a very, once again, in a very um, unexpected um, way that makes it all fresh again. You, they keep, you, as much as you think of what the cliched ending will be, as fast as you do it, they change it. So that's really nice. It's so true. It's so true. Yeah, it's, um, I don't know. It's, it, it, it has so much going for it. Like, obviously, the rainbow is this group mm. of people mm. <laughs> who, are, who are pretty special and spectacular. And I thought, I don't know if you, this is just like nothing mm. except a random thing I noticed. Okay, so Fred, Fred Rococo, um, mm. our master of ceremonies, um, Fred was, Fred's fiance is not introduced until season two. And right. Sam and Joel have become pretty good friends with Fred. Mm. And then it's revealed to them that Fred has this fiance and they're like, who is this chick? Like, where? Mm. Right. <laughs> how did and you not right. tell she, us you had a fiance? She comes into the room and just hugs everyone in the group and they're all like, yeah, wow, this happened. <laughs> yeah, and right. it's a perfectly written character. Of course, Fred's fiance is like, I think a fellow academic, like in the English, department uh-huh. you know like flowy like yeah. <laughs> bisexual like yeah. yes right on perfect <laughs> dead on um but uh, sam again and maybe it's just a foreshadowing of how she feels about joel and their friendship it seemed like sad sam was uh at first kind of like sad about fred revealing his romantic mm-hmm. relationship mm-hmm. and i and i was like wait is sam into fred mm-hmm. but i think maybe it's just like this pattern of her feeling really close to friends and then friends developing like a romantic attachment to someone else and her feeling left out oh i think so i think it's, it's her her relationships are so tenuous that you feel like she feels tremendously threatened yeah you know and it's a kind of it kind of prefigures the huge upheaval when joel gets you know a partner essentially and yeah she just loses it she loses it so much that it's actually it's kind of a bold thing to do it takes you right to the edge of how much you know you can like how much character. you can like her yeah exactly I mean, she's just berating this baby duck guy who's crying and begging her forgiveness and i'm like begging her forgiveness for what you're allowed I know you're, you allowed, did nothing wrong. you're allowed to you know see if you really like this guy and you're gonna get together before you tell your friends you don't owe your friends a bulletin totally. immediately <laughs> yeah so it really goes so far that it, it's making it an essential part of her character that's very difficult and, and it that does keep coming out more in in you know with, with comments from her sister where her sister's like you know you cut people off all the time and then you'll never let them back and you know this is you're gonna wind up alone because you're to make such insane demands on people they can't live up to them absolutely um, so yeah and you re- so you really feel like she that's another part of that kind of drama where there's not the usually dramatically plotted things happening but there's a drama within the characters and yep. that's the drama with her is like is she going to be able to negotiate a kind of like she really does have a kind of arrested development quality i think yes you know she's kind of frozen at an earlier age and you know so can't seem to do the i know i'm feeling this thing but i can't act this because i'm an adult <laughs> i can't i can't <laughs> i can't do that and she's still doing it she's still lashing out wildly at people if she feels sl- even slightly rejected so that seemed very bold 
Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I'm glad you brought up the likability factor. Um, it, okay. So again, the, the show does bring Sam to the brink of, you know, the audience maybe turning against mm. her because she's being such an unreasonable bitch to poor mm. Joel, who's adorable. Um, but in general, I, I honestly, I'm finding the show refreshing because I find everyone pretty darn likable. Oh, so there's and, so much lovability. You can hardly stand it. There's certain yeah. characters you just can't. You can't. Fred, Joel um the father the father character ed yeah uh, you're just like oh my god and and it's and it's They're weird lovely. because the one most disturbing thing i found was when when they had to change for season two because of um, the death of my Hardy. they made the mother like now beyond the pale you know there was she's the most difficult character she's a she's yeah. an alcoholic who can't who won't admit it she always relapses you know she's really torn up the family the father has always been you know an angel uh, of love and support who and that's been part of the problem in fact he's the ultimate <laughs> enabler, enabler he yeah he can't bear it he can't bear to confront her or whatever um but if you remove him and you remove this there's there's these moments where she says you know she, that she couldn't she couldn't face how she just messed everything up she'd messed the girls up she'd messed everything up yeah, and so they gave her this tiny bit of poignant something to balance this monster kind of figure that she's become, and that's all gone, in the, at least in the beginning, you know, in season two. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that seemed like not typical of the show, but in a way that I'm thinking they have to do something with this. They had to, they can't yeah, because <laughs> it's yeah. just not the way of the show. Um, but it maybe that's their way of saying no. We'll go to the limit, you know, with how how some people are just going to become like wow I, I feel like there's no there's no redeeming quality with this person now maybe maybe it's a little alarming when that happens because they do such a good job of you know finding the lovability in people which for totally. me people aren't lovable usually at all so <laughs> what the show would be like i love this person and i like this person is not usual for you at, at all no, or usual for like the moment. Like I think we're in a time of a really weird um, trend in spectatorship mm. where it's like, okay, I'm thinking of Succession, mm. which has like barely any characters you want to cozy up to. Mm. Or I've just been, I've been watching random things like a Hulu series called Single Drunk Female. <laughs> I I love single drunk females, um, but <laughs> like none of it, Ali Sheedy's the mom, and oh, it's about oh. this girl in her twenties. But like honestly, I find them all immensely unlikable. Well, see, I'm on season two. I just assumed yeah. it was me coming to hate everyone. <laughs> but yeah, I watch. I mostly can't watch. You know, I mostly right. can't read contemporary literature because I have the same reaction. I open. I literally me at a table in a bookstore. Well, this was the old days. Me cracking any new book is me like reading literally a paragraph and hurling it away from me in horror, like I'm holding a poisonous snake. I just can't stand <laughs> the contemporary sensibility, contemporary personality. Mostly, I can't. I found my own little enclaves of people I love, and obviously, I have my great friends and all that stuff. But it yeah. really is a small group, and mostly, I'm just like, okay, that's just me. I'm just. I've always been weird, though. I mean, even as a as a kid, I was like, I do not fit. I do not belong here, man. I'm this. Oh, this been an error at the head office. <laughs> um, I mean, yes, yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah. But I do well, think you're right. There's a tendency to like this is going to be so bold if you hate everyone. And yeah, I'm not, I'm not thinking it's so bold. Oh God, it's miserable. I haven't like attached to anything since like hacks, you know. But this, <laughs> yeah. this is lovely. Um, yeah. yeah, and I'm just grateful to to like some human beings on screen. How refreshing! Yeah, <laughs> really. We just come back to this. It's really, it's really startling, and it's, yeah, that, that it feels like this. 
It shows how dire, it's really a referendum on how dire things have got. <laughs> yeah. When you're watching it going, this just seems so bold. And like, Wait, why does it seem so bold again? And it's just some like emotionally stunted woman in the Midwest. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. The, the, the bar's low. The bar is so on the ground at this point. Yeah. Uh, but I can, speaking of this like contemporary sensibility, which I find odious, mm. I am mind blown that the, du- how do you say it? Duplass, Duplass brothers, brothers have anything to say about this? Me too. I don't know how involved they are. They're at this point. I think they've done enough. They, they're big enough that they, I think they can lend their names kind of. I, and okay. Executive producer is always very like, meh. I don't know how involved you are. Um, you, you can also just be, I'm put, we're putting our name to it because it helps. We're putting a stamp on yeah. it. So I don't know. Yeah. I was also startled because I mean, I guess you could suck. say that they might, <laughs> I know this is not Mumblecore is my tonight i can't have yeah. anything to do with it ever though i am told they're the most entertaining and able to function in the mainstream world of of those who are called mumblecore um, <laughs> okay. i don't know I, uh but i i think the only way is that is that you know the anti what do you call it like the anti-drama quality of the show i guess what's there's a better word what is the word for it where you're yeah. not doing the conventional plotting and dramatics etc you're just letting things kind of unfold in smaller ways yeah i think that that's how that's they a can hallmark. Be, yeah yeah part of okay it. yeah that well, makes sense you know often i hate that stuff <laughs> sometimes yeah. it's brilliant it can be brilliant a lot of times that would be a red flag for me. Like, oh no, <laughs> are we going to do that? Where we just drag along behind people as they get in and out of cars and walk full length of like 200 yard hallways and we can't cut away <laughs> because, you know, every moment's precious or some shit. I can't stand that. Oh, see, um, I'm not against that if I like them. But... Oh, yeah, yeah. I have a hard time. All right. But sometimes it can work brilliantly. And then in this case, I'm not even conscious of it. It does, doesn't seem yeah. to work that way, in fact, at all. It seems like it it's, it's actually moves quite briskly. Sometimes, like I said, even too briskly for me. Like, you just, there's really? A, there's a kind of an emotional catch-up. Well, I'm especially thinking when you go from episode one to episode two. I mean, yeah. I, so, sorry, season one to season two, where you're just like, whoa, what? Um, and so many things have happened and changed that it's just like, wow, this seems in defiance of the whole way we've laid out the Midwest, that things just don't not much happens <laughs> right 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 uh, on, you know because not only does trisha's life implode the whole the, you know what happens with the parents the whole it just everyone's life is radically changed they've moved in together there's there's all this yeah like, all these changes on so many levels that you're just like okay what did i miss an episode what's happening yeah, yeah true very true but hey that's also how life is sometimes i mean so. i guess it's it's exactly that it's it's the, all all at once you know there's 10 years in a week yeah and it does yeah like that happens yeah yeah. Um, I think I just liked the first season so much um, that I was a little forlorn about it. But oh well, that's fine. It's okay. They're gonna. I believe they're renewed for season oh, three. They are. Yeah, so they are, yeah, they are. yeah, we've got a lot to look forward to. We do. We do. <laughs> and thank God that we need this. You and I need this. We're. we're I know. We're come gonna... on, writer strike, come through. <laughs> oh man, it's so. I need. Oh. We need the execs to negotiate because yeah. we need. We need this back. <laughs> yeah. And we just need better. We need better everything. It's <laughs> everyone yeah. does. We're just in real doldrums. I mean, I have to be a film critic in a world where there's hardly a film worth worth writing about. You don't want to see Spider-Man and then Super Mario Brothers oh and then fucking Ant-Man? Yeah. And like, <laughs> them is like all important. I, I can't. How, how long can you keep this farce going? I, just can't. I know it's I a don't cliche. Know. I try not even to talk about it, but. 
it's so bad. I trying to to suggest to Jackman what I'm going to review is just become hilarious. Everyone to the point that they even said to me like, you know what? Let's not waste your time. If you decide it's not worth your time, write about some <laughs> write Old about movie. the history of some genre. Write about you know you got all this in depth knowledge of <laughs> just move to something else. You don't have to cover all this stuff. It just got that bad. Like I don't even know what to say anymore. I know. It looked terrible in the previews. I went and dragged myself to it. It was in fact terrible, and anyone <laughs> could have seen it was going to be terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So really, really, I thought maybe it was just we'd come out of it, but so far we're not. Oh, hell no. But oh at least God. this show is for grownups. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's smart and it's interesting and it actually reflects like important things about life mm-hmm. that are worth thinking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really, it really does. Yeah. I mean, there's, so, there's some real insight here that isn't the normal thing of just about hu- humanity and how and the, all the tricky interactions just in maintaining any kind of relationship. So that's very nice. Absolutely. And yeah. like shout out to like putting the Midwest on screen. Oh, I know. And- God. We just need more. <laughs> this needs to happen more and more. Like I want regionalism back so hard. I want local. Yeah. Power. I want people who know an area to place things in that area. Because it's yep. that I, I don't know why we don't do this more. I mean, they certainly the Coens have been doing it for ages. And, and when they started, it was not normal. Everything was set in LA and usually it wasn't even shot in LA, but in another place that was representing LA. Just like no any place was at like any other place. It was just the worst. Um so yeah, there's so many interesting enclaves everywhere in the world (laughs) that there's no reason we're dragging through these dull ass fictional worlds shot in generic places. This is this is half of what's so deathly about entertainment. There's nothing to look at or absorb or feel. Exactly, exactly. And these like different places and people enrich us, guys. Yeah. <laughs> We're just like building on that bedrock assumption. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's excellent for a final thought. Unless yeah. we have another that's better. But I think that's pretty damn good. I think No, the, the rainbow led us here. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Follow the yellow book brick road, road to the bedrock assumption that <laughs> diversity on screen is good. <laughs> <laughs> okay and that is it for our episode entitled somebody somewhere over the rainbow colon hanging in the heartland <laughs> long but it's good and we thank you dear listeners and of course triple thanks to our subscribers who keep us in teeny teenies what a good tradition we'll have to try to start that one up ourselves Oh, yeah. Oh, if you're not a subscriber yet, but you like what you hear, please consider signing up for the Patreon for all the film site content instead of just the half that's publicly available. You can follow news of the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Join us in two weeks for more fantastic film sub conversation. Until then, thank you all for listening. Bye. Bye. <laughs>